Hello and welcome to The Search. I'm Shahe Jurgen. This series is called Biblical History, God's Work Through the Ages. This is Lesson 3, Exodus and the Old Covenant. Let's start with a scripture reading from the book of Exodus, chapter 19, beginning in verse 3. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. God promised Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation, inherit a land, and bring blessings to all the families of the earth. Abraham and Sarah had a son in their old age named Isaac, and the promises of God passed to him when his father Abraham died. These blessings passed to Isaac's son, Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and his 12 sons became the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. The book of Genesis ends with the family of Israel moving to Egypt because of a great famine. Now, this move was in perfect harmony with a prophecy God made to Abraham that his offspring would live in a foreign country for hundreds of years before returning to the promised land. You remember that it was Joseph, one of Jacob's youngest sons, who rose to power in Egypt and saved his family and the nation from starvation. The second book in the Bible, Exodus, resumes the narrative right where Genesis ends. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Exodus 1, verses 6 through 8. Remember, God told Abraham that while his descendants lived in that foreign land for centuries, they would be enslaved and mistreated, Genesis 15, 13. So the book of Exodus reveals how the Israelites went from honored guests to a perceived threat by the Egyptians. Centuries passed, and all those who remembered how Joseph saved Egypt had died. Additionally, the Israelites were having so many children uh, that their population exploded. The Egyptian king was now worried about what might happen if these local Israelites teamed up with some foreign power, one of Egypt's enemies, and they, uh, co they uh, cooperated with one another to topple the Egyptians. So the Egyptians decided this is how they would handle the potential threat. They put slave masters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor, Exodus 1 verse 11. Now, when forced labor didn't stifle their growth, Pharaoh commanded that all Israelite baby boys be thrown into the Nile and killed, Exodus 1 verse 22. And it's at this point that one of the most important men in all the Bible is introduced. 
See, there was a man and his wife of the tribe of Levi who gave birth to a son, but they didn't want to follow the king's directive to cast him into the crocodile-infested water of the Nile. They concocted a plan to have their newborn adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and for the infant's mother to be hired as a nursemaid to raise him right under Pharaoh's nose. And as wild of a plan as that is, it worked. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Exodus 2, verses 9 and 10. Moses grew, and years later, he encountered the Lord in a bush that was on fire but did not burn up. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob delivered this incredibly important message to Moses. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Exodus 3, verses 7 and 8. God instructed Moses to confront Pharaoh and command him to release the Israelites. Now, Moses was reluctant. See, he thought he was inadequate for the job. But God assured him that his mighty power would be with him every step of the way. So Moses did as God commanded, telling Pharaoh, let my people go in Exodus 5 and verse 1. The king of Egypt predictably refused, and this set the stage for a showdown between Moses and the power of God on the one hand versus Pharaoh and the might of Egypt on the other. And this is where we have all the plagues. Now, there is a key theme that binds all the plagues together, and that is the theme of the name of God. See, when Moses confronted Pharaoh, he told Pharaoh that you need to let these people go so that they can worship Yahweh in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who's Yahweh, and why should I care about what he has to say? So the plagues were designed to reveal both to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, as well as the Israelites, the name of Yahweh. Who is Yahweh? Yahweh is the creator of the heavens and the earth, and all of the plagues reveal that God has power over all the created world. It's Yahweh who made the the heavens and the skies and the seas and the land. And so the plagues all reveal these different parts of the created world. The Lord rained down these 10 devastating plagues that included turning water into blood, uh, the frogs, the lice, the flies, the livestock pestilence, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and of course, finally, the death of the firstborn. And so these plagues were concerned with the water and the sky and the land and how Yahweh controls all things. Now, these plagues were probably spread out over a period of many months, giving the Egyptians plenty of time to yield to the will and power of God and to allow the Israelites to leave. But Pharaoh continued to harden his heart and refuse the word of Moses. In the days leading up to the final plague, God prepared his people to observe a sacred feast called Passover. Each household was to kill a lamb. Then they're to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. The same night, 
They're to eat the meat roasted with fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast, Exodus 12, verses 7 and 8. God said that if he saw a household with the lamb's blood applied on the night when he would strike down the firstborn in the land, he would pass over that house and spare it. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat in the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. Exodus 12, 29 and 30. Broken, Pharaoh finally released the Israelites. But as the people were traveling out of the country towards the land God promised them, the king had a change of heart. He gathered his army and pursued the slaves, trapping them against the banks of the Red Sea, or more accurately translated, the Sea of Reeds. Caught between the raging current and a deadly line of Egyptian chariots, God told Moses, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground, Exodus 14, 16. Moses obeyed, the water parted, and thousands of Israelites walked along the seabed as the power of God cleared the path and held back the Egyptian for forces. Once across, the Egyptians attempted to pursue, but the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. Exodus 14, 27 and 28. And thus... Israel was redeemed. Now let's talk about redemption. Redemption is a prominent biblical theme. Redemption is the act of buying someone or something with the intent of securing their release. It deals with liberation from slavery, debt, or destitution. See, Israel was enslaved. The people had no power to earn their own freedom. They couldn't pay a price high enough to be released. They couldn't fight their way out of the land. So God intervened and did for them what they could not do on their own. He redeemed them. God led the emancipated Israelites to a mountain called Sinai. When they approached the mountain, it was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Exodus 19, 18 and 19. The events of Mount Sinai are incredibly significant. You see, Israel's redemption occurred when God rescued them from Egypt, but at Sinai, God formalized his special relationship with them through a covenant. Now, the word covenant basically means a treaty. A covenant is a binding arrangement between two parties which outlines their relationship. When a man and woman come together as husband and wife, they enter into a covenant where the two commit to be faithful to one another for the rest of their lives. Likewise, God has entered into covenant relationships with different individuals and groups. And there are many covenants in Scripture, but there are two major covenants that we often refer to as the Old and New Covenants. 
The new covenant came through Jesus Christ. The old covenant came through Moses, and it was ratified at Mount Sinai. Now, covenants include a number of special and significant things. First of all, they include terms or rules or parameters. At Sinai, God delivered the Ten Commandments, as well as a bunch of other laws that Moses wrote down and taught to the people. And when they heard the law, the people shouted, everything the Lord has said, we will do, Exodus 24 and verse 3. Covenants also include a sacrifice, which brings the terms into effect. At Sinai, Moses coordinated animal sacrifices, then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Exodus 24 and verse 8, the Hebrew word for covenant itself refers to the practice of cutting because the animals were cut to signify that the covenant has now been ratified. Third, covenants also include fellowship meals. Now, this is a special meal where the covenant partners eat together to represent their communion with one another. God invited Israel's representatives to approach him on the mountain where it says they saw the God of Israel and they ate and drank, Exodus 24, verses 10 and 11. Covenants also include signs. Now, a sign is a physical reminder of the covenant so that the people could look at that and then remember their relationship with God. The rainbow was the sign of God's covenant with Noah, and circumcision was the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. For Israel, God said, observe the Sabbath. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever, Exodus 31 verses 14 through 17. And finally, and maybe most importantly, covenants include promises. Israel promised to be faithful to God, and the Lord made this amazing declaration to them. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, Exodus 6 and verse 7. Yahweh would be Israel's God, and they would be his people. That is a covenant. Now, thus far, we've highlighted two major events in the book of Exodus. We've discussed how God raised up Moses to deliver Israel out from Egyptian bondage, and then how God bound himself to Israel through the covenant made at Sinai. And the last major focus of the book of Exodus is the construction of the tabernacle. Now, this is important. Now that God has made Israel his special treasure on the earth, he needed a way to dwell among them so that they could worship and communicate with him. His divine presence in their midst would signify that they belonged to him. And notice how in the book of Exodus we learn that if God is not dwelling among his people, they're not really his people. In order for them to be Yahweh's people, Yahweh needs to be with them. And this was accomplished through the tabernacle. The word tabernacle, of course, just means tent. 
Sometimes it's even just called the tent of meeting. And the tabernacle was a pretty elaborate tent structure. It was built precisely to God's specifications. In fact, the the Spirit of God inspired men to build it so that it would be built as God wanted it to be built. And the various symbols, designs, and furniture pieces They were all meant to invoke the imagery of the Garden Temple in Eden. Back then in the Garden of Eden, humanity enjoyed perfect fellowship with God. They were able to be in his immediate presence and they worshiped him. And the tabernacle, the tent, is meant to recall that and to replicate it so that once again, God and his new covenant partners could be together. The tent could be packed up and carried with Israel on their journeys, and then they would set it up centrally within the camp so the people could come and bring their sacrifice, sacrifices and offerings to the Lord. And when the tabernacle was complete, we read, the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Exodus 40, verses 34 and 35. So the book of Exodus documents a major step forward in God's work. Back in Exodus, we remember that the Lord partnered with the patriarchs and their families like Noah, Abraham, and Joseph. When God rescued Israel from Egypt, he bound himself to an entire people group promising to bring them to the land that he swore to give to Abraham, to bless them and keep them, remember, to be their God and for them to be his people. In previous lessons, we've learned that God is a powerful creator and a loving father and that he works through human partners to bring about his will. In this lesson, Exodus and the Old Covenant, we've learned even more about God and his work in the world. We've learned, for example, that God is a great redeemer who rescued Israel from bondage and suffering to make them his own special people. We've been introduced to Moses, who was raised up by God to represent him to Pharaoh and to Israel, and then to help bring Israel into their covenant with Yahweh. We learned about Passover. Passover is one of what will be eventually be many special feasts that were given to Israel to remember and celebrate God's redemptive work. We've learned about what a covenant is. It's like a treaty, a special arrangement that God makes with his human partners. And then we learned about the tabernacle and how it represents a sacred space where God and his covenant partners, his worshipers, can meet together. Exodus and the old covenant paves the way for the future work of God through Christ. We see all kinds of typology in the book of Exodus, things that point us forward to what Jesus would ultimately accomplish. God rescued Israel from bondage as Jesus rescues us from sin. God raised up Moses to be the mediator of the old covenant as he sent Christ, his son, to deliver the new covenant. God bound himself to Israel through covenant, making them his covenant partners as Jesus bound himself to all of those who are in Christ. God's presence dwelt among the Israelites in the sanctified tabernacle, just as the Holy Spirit dwells in God's new temple, the bodies 
of sanctified believers. God rescued Israel, and they made this commitment. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. In like manner, the Lord Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Israel's solemn charge was to fill the land with the knowledge and glory of God, just as Jesus has commissioned believers to go into all the world in his name to preach the good news so that the world may know Christ and glorify God.